This is week three of our series titled Bless. And these messages are basically a study where we've been studying the strategy that Jesus used to bless people. It's found in the Bible. Many of us have come to realize that the best way to live out the mission of making disciples that Jesus gave us is by blessing those that God has placed in our lives. Mark Russell, in his book called Missional Entrepreneur, tells us about a study that was done on two different mission groups that were going to Thailand. These two groups both wanted to go in and establish businesses in the country, but then after that, their strategies kind of diverted in different directions. One team's strategy was to go into Thailand, start a business, and then focus on blessing people. They would immerse themselves in the culture. They would find ways that they could bless people, help people, serve people in some basically, you know, some tangible ways, simple ways. The study called this group the blessers. The next group went to Thailand, and they too started a business, but their strategy was just to go in and try to convert as many people as possible to Christianity, and the study called this group the converters. The study followed these two people groups, these two mission groups, excuse me, for about five years, and here's what they found. They discovered that the blessers had a far greater social impact in their area, and they made life better for the people that they encountered in practical ways. The converters, they seemed to make almost no difference at all in bettering the lives of the Thai people. The most surprising discovery was this. The blessers had 48 conversions. The converters had one conversion. And that was their strategy, was to go and convert as many people as possible. The blessers were almost 50 times more likely to have a conversion than through blessing people than the converters were by just trying to convert people. And you know, I think we know that intuitively. We know that, what this study proved analytically. It, it, it's only when we love people and bless them that they develop an interest in why we love them, why we're blessing them. Blessing others is the best way to help people find God. The end result, the best way to accomplish the mission that Jesus gave to us to make disciples by helping people meet Jesus and then follow him is for his people to become better at blessing other people. During this series, we've been challenging one another to identify the people that we've been called by God to bless. And instead of just hoping that people will meet Jesus and follow him, that we're actually taking some specific steps helping them to meet Jesus and to follow him. 
The title of the series is actually an acronym, BLESS. It's an acronym that stands for the five missional practices that we can carry out every single day. You don't have to have a seminary degree or a Bible college degree. You don't even have to have gone to a Christian school to know how to do this. They're very simple. In week one, we looked at the letter B, which stands for begin with prayer, and how everything that we do is foundational on that point. We're going to start there. And then the second thing we looked at last week was the letter L, which stands for listen, and how, how great a gift we can give to someone by just simply asking them a question and then listening to their response, especially when they share their story, their the story of their life and where they're at. And so we start with beginning with prayer and then listening. And today we come to letter E, which stands for probably my favorite part of this whole missional process. It's eat. Eat. Food is a big part of our culture. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, meals can become events in our culture. And that's true in a lot of cultures, but certainly it's true in this country and certainly in this part of the world. Food has always been a big part of my life. I have had all of these great food memories that I have from my past, and I reminisce about some of those at different times. Smell something or see something, it takes you right back to a certain point. I remember my grandmother's fried chicken. Man, was it good. And I can remember in summer times, my mom making dozens and dozens of ears of Iowa sweet corn. And then alongside that, oftentimes there were platters just filled with BLTs, tomatoes fresh from the garden. And then on Friday nights, we were making popcorn. My mom taught me how to do it, and I learned to make popcorn with just the exact amount of butter. Man, was it good. But the highlight, the food highlight of my childhood comes from a pizzeria known as Leaning Tower of Pizza. If any of my family is watching out there, I know they're giving a shout out right now because this is a family favorite place. And we only got pizza from there when I was a kid on extremely, very special occasions. In fact, when we did get pizza there, there was never a question as what we were going to order. We always ordered what was called the potter. That was the pizza that had the works on it. The Potter included the Towers Italian sausage, ham and pepperoni, plus mushrooms, onions, celery, yes, I said celery, and green olives and green peppers. And that just makes my mouth water just saying it. This is a a shot of a potter. The crust was perfect, the sauce was perfect, the toppings were perfect, all encased in cheese. I can't help it. Every trip I make to Iowa always includes a visit to the tower, at least one trip. We have so many great restaurants here in Lexington as well. You think about it. I mean, if you're in Hamburg, you know we got Malone's and, of course, Chewy's, popular spots, Ramsey's. Maybe, maybe you're an old school person. You've been around Lexington a long time, and you love going to Burger and Shake, Man, isn't that a great place? 
I have a friend who lives in California now, but every time he visits back to Lexington, he has to go to get a hot brown at Ramsey's. And you know, some of us, we're simple people. We just love Waffle House. It really depends on what you're hankering for. But it seems like Lexington has almost everything when it comes to food. We have so many restaurants. One might begin to think we have a love affair with food. And they might be right. They might be right. You know, despite all of that, we might fail to realize the real power of eating. Specifically, the experience of sharing a meal with another person. Sometimes incredible things can happen when we meet around a table. Let me give you an example. Back in 2018, there was a story that went viral. It was a Thursday morning in November, and 28-year-old Eric Harrelson went to McDonald's to have breakfast by himself. And as fate would have it, so did Jan. I'm referring to Jan Jessup. At the time, she was a 70-year-old grandmother who approached Eric, and she asked if she might share breakfast with him. So Eric enthusiastically said yes. Here's a picture of Jan and Eric. The two of them spent the next 45 minutes enjoying each other's company and swapping stories about their lives. Eric talked about his son and his girlfriend, and Jan shared about how she used to be an artist. Later, Eric was interviewed for an article about their encounter because it had gone viral. And he said this about Jan. He said, She's, she is a wonderful woman. She mentioned many times how we all should love one another. Well, after they had finished eating, they exchanged phone numbers, and Eric walked Jan to her car. A simple meal shared with a stranger became a lasting blessing for both of them. What if stories like that weren't so rare? In fact, what if they were more commonplace? What do you think could happen if our homes and our neighborhoods became centers for blessing others by simply sharing a meal together? Eating with someone is a powerful way to bless them and to show God's love to them. And there are some great examples in the Bible of how Jesus blessed people, but I'm guessing that few of us would have thought that eating with people would be one of those ways that Jesus was blessing them. You know, it may sound kind of crazy, but eating with people was actually vital to Jesus' ministry of loving others. Let me give a couple. Let me give you a couple of examples. There was a wedding feast that Jesus went to. That was the place where he did his first miracle, turning water into wine. There was another occasion where he fed 5,000 men plus women and children. And then not long after that, he fed 4,000 men plus women and children. The night before he was crucified, he shared one of the most significant experiences with his disciples over a meal. It was a powerful night. And then after his resurrection, we see Jesus having breakfast with his disciples on a beach. So many key events in his life happened 
while he was sharing a meal with people. Meals were a big day and big deal in Jesus' day. In fact, in the first century culture, eating a meal together was a statement of friendship. It was an affirmation of that person's value to you. Who you ate with indicated the people you loved. That's someone that you cared about and considered that person to be part of your social class. Typically, people wouldn't meet or eat with people who weren't on the same level as them within the social system of that culture. That's why it was so reprehensible for the religious leaders to see Jesus so frequently eating with the lowest and the most hated in the culture. You see, a respectable rabbi wouldn't be caught dead with anyone who wasn't part of the, quote, good people group, unquote, But Jesus would. He was happy to have a meal with just about anybody. Matthew gives us one of the best examples of this in Jesus' life. It's found in Matthew, the ninth chapter, starting with verse nine and following. It says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what it means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. In Jesus' day, tax collectors were considered the scum of the earth, the lowest of the low. I mean, nobody was worse than these guys. They worked for the Roman government. Most Jews considered them traitors to their people because they made their money by overcharging the Jewish people, when they collected taxes from them. They definitely weren't someone that you would ever share a meal with. That's for sure. Yet the first thing that Jesus did after Matthew agrees to become one of his followers is he shows up at Matthew's house for dinner. And then, did you notice who else shows up for dinner? More tax collectors. And then this whole group of people simply referred to as sinners, Imagine the guy working the front door of Matthew's dinner party. Hey, are you a, are you a tax collector? Great, come on in. And, and you, are you a tax collector? You're not? Oh, well then you must be a sinner, right? Okay, come on in. You can imagine the, <laughs> there was no standard to get into that party. The term sinner in that day was a catch-all term that stood for those who were not religious, or more specifically, who were involved in an illicit lifestyle, like prostitution. So you can imagine who's assembled here. This crowd gathered at Matthew's place was a who's who of the socially unacceptable. This group was seen as so sketchy, the religious establishment 
tried to undermine Jesus' credibility by asking his disciples this question. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why does he do that? Doesn't he know? I mean, these people are going to damage his reputation. But Jesus overheard the conversation, and he responded. He said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. These people need me. Don't you understand that? And then he took a page from the Old Testament, and he said this. He says, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. See, these were Pharisees who Jesus was talking to. And they were famous for their knowledge of the Old Testament. I mean, these guys were all-stars when it came to memorization of the Old Testament as well as performing religious rituals and offering sacrifices. But one thing they did was they ignored the poor and those who were marginalized. So Jesus points out to them that Jesus says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. That's what God said. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. But you don't know what that means. And if you do, Jesus was saying to them, certainly you aren't living it out. You see, Jesus was on a mission. He was looking to transform the lives of as many people as possible. But the Pharisees were more interested in obeying the letter of the law, that they lost sight of the very people who they were supposed to shepherd and care for For Jesus, it was all about blessing people. He wanted them to know that he loved them. He came to show them grace and mercy and not just hope people would find their way to God, but to help them find their way to him. In the Gospels, where we read the story of Jesus' life, there's four of them at the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, These four gospel writers painstakingly recorded how Jesus called out the religious leaders for their criticism. On another occasion, Jesus said this in Luke, the seventh chapter. He says, the son of man, which is a reference to himself, came eating and drinking, and you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Of course, Jesus wasn't a glutton or a drunkard. But he ate so often with people who were that he was accused of being one of them. Well, then Jesus follows that up with verse 35, and he says, but wisdom is proved right by all her children. Now, what does that mean? Well, the children of wisdom that Jesus is referring to are those who are now responding to the message of Jesus. His point is is that those who follow him are shown to be wise, regardless of their past. So Jesus eats with some people who've committed various sins, and eventually, some of them end up becoming followers, which is a wise thing to do, he said. Steve and Pat Smith aren't strangers around Northeast. In fact, they're far from it. They've been here for more than 16 years, They've served in all different areas, teachers, different leaders of different groups, 
visiting in the hospitals or funeral homes. The, the list goes on and on. In fact, Steve currently serves as our executive minister and does a lot of pastoral care for us. And Pat is currently our finance chairman. And she was instrumental in helping us sell our debt and reduce our debt level. And we're grateful for both of them. But as, as remarkable as all of that is, the one thing that they are probably best known for is sharing a meal with new people who come to Northeast. If you knew how many people they've eaten with over the years, you would realize that they have made a ministry out of eating. Now, I have the attention of some of you, don't I? For years, they would meet a new person or a new couple or maybe a new family, and they would invite them to go to lunch with them after the worship service was over. And during the meal, they would spend time learning about the lives of their guests. And then when it came time to leave, they had already paid the bill. The guests could offer to pay, but that would always fall on deaf ears. The bill was already taken care of. And their plan was sharing good food and good company to simply bless some new friends. And hundreds of people have been blessed by them over the years. And there are many people at Northeast today, largely because of that initial blessing that they gave. Henry Nouwen wrote about the power of eating together. This is what he said. When we invite friends for a meal, we do much more than offer them food for their bodies. We offer friendship, fellowship, good conversation, intimacy, and closeness. When we say, help yourself or take some more, don't be shy or have another glass, we offer our guests not only our food and drink, but also ourselves. A spiritual bond grows, and we become food and drink for one another. So what would it look like if you set aside just one meal a week or one meal every other week to bless people just by eating that meal with them? When you give it a try, and I hope every one of you will, you might discover how you can impact the lives of people who simply sit around your table and share life with you over a good meal. Now, I know that some of you are kind of freaking out because you're an introvert by nature, and this whole idea intimidates you to host a meal. But let me take a little bit of the pressure off. You don't have to do this alone. Recruit others to partner with you. Recruit some folks to join you in this initiative. Connect with a life group here or a class here at church. Or maybe you recruit some other Christ followers in your neighborhood to join you. We weren't meant to do this mission by ourselves. It was never designed that way. So recruit some folks, and I want you to think about it for a second. What if you had a group 
who hosted dinners or organized coffees every once in a while, or they just did barbecues once a month or every other week, and you invited neighbors or maybe a coworker or some friends that you have in another subdivision or maybe some family, what might happen if we spent time eating and building relationships together? That could be someone's first connection with the church. In fact, even more importantly, it could be their first connection with God. Don't miss this. I think food has some secret powers. I think there's two that I know of, at least at this point in my life. And the first one is this. Food can be disarming. Food can be disarming. One of the amazing aspects about eating together is how disarming food can actually be. You might be stressed or nervous, but when you sit down at a table and you start eating, it can have this diffusing effect. A meal with a person or people that you don't know, it it can have some awkward small talk, but food can be so disarming that a person can transition from that awkwardness into a place where they feel comfortable enough to share their own story over a simple bowl of Texas chili or an American cheeseburger. The second secret power that food has is that food can be inclusive. When someone invites you to their home for a meal or to a restaurant to share a meal together, that meal now takes on an inclusive quality. Sharing that food is the reason They gave you the invitation. And when people sit around a table to eat, they feel included. And here's the amazing thing. It could be a five-course meal or it could be simply wings and beer cheese. It doesn't matter. It's when you invite someone to join you, that sends a powerful message that you value that person. I remember that a number of years ago, I was serving as the young adults minister at Southland Christian, working with people 18 to 35 years of age. And one fall season, I realized that some of our young adults had nowhere to go for Thanksgiving. And that year, Ann and I decided we were gonna host a Thanksgiving dinner for young adults who would otherwise have been alone. You see, Ann and I had spent a few holidays unable to be with our families in Iowa, and we knew how lonely that that can be. And so Ann made this amazing meal, and four of our young adults were our guests that day. It was a low-key kind of event, but everybody seemed to enjoy themselves, and we were stuffed when we were done. After sharing that Thanksgiving with this group of four, I was so glad we invited them Because the thought of each one of those people spending Thanksgiving alone was heartbreaking to me. Inviting someone to share a meal says, join us, be part of us today. Don't forget what's possible when you do that. When you bless someone by inviting them to share a meal with you, don't miss what possible, what could happen Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners at a meal at Matthew's house. 
But after hanging out with Jesus, I wonder how many at that dinner were never the same. They were never the same because Jesus came to transform lives. We can love our neighbors, we can bless our neighbors, and in the process, we can change the world one meal at a time. Let me tell you about Doug and Kristen, Kristen Rowland. Back in 2015, Doug and Kristen looked around their neighborhood in Bettendorf, Iowa, with all these rows of really nice houses and young families who had block parties together and ran 5Ks together on the weekends. They said their world seemed perfect, but they felt like they were missing something. And so in December of 2015, the couple moved across the Mississippi River into a different economic and cultural environment to a home that was located in the west end of Rock Island, another one of the Quad Cities. Moving his wife and two kids to a different city was way outside of Doug's comfort zone. He was often asked by some of his old neighbors if it was worth it. And the answers, they say, are often found around their dinner table on Thursday evenings. Every Thursday, the Rollins invite their neighbors over for a meal. It's a weekly tradition that started a number of years ago. And the guests... They've changed over the years, but the dinner, it's always on Thursday. They've hosted groups of teenagers and groups of African refugees. They've hosted married couples who could barely speak English. And they hosted one man who had lived in his house in that neighborhood for 25 years, but didn't know a single soul in the neighborhood until he came over to the Rollins for a crockpot meal one night on Thursday. Doug said this, something definitely happens when you're around the table with people. These dinners, they didn't come with obligations either. You don't have to promise to go to church or invite them over for dinner in return. It's just creating a space for you to get to know your neighbor, a place where community can begin to form, a place to bless those people who live near you. Sharing a meal together can actually transform a person's life. Sharing a meal, a simple meal, can be the catalytic event that starts a transformation in their life. It may just be a simple blessing of one meal that sets all of that into motion, but it could actually lead to a relationship with Jesus, and that will change their life forever. And think about it. It all started with sharing a meal together. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the blessing of your word and for the insight that we see in some of the most simple ways. Eating is so routine to us in this culture. We usually eat three meals a day and sometimes we even eat in between those meals. And yet the thought that 
A meal could be transformational. A time when we can bless another person to the point that they might wonder why we care so much about them. And then we earn the privilege of pointing them to Jesus. God, I pray you'll give us a vision of how sharing a meal with people could actually happen. Show us how a blessing could happen or should happen around our tables or in restaurants or coffee shops or around fire pits, barbecues, picnic tables, all around our city. Give us courage, God, to host them, to invite them, and hospitality to make it a special time. And Holy Spirit, we invite you to move in the hearts of those who meet around our tables, starting with our own hearts. God, we pray that you will use us to bless those who don't yet know you, those who are struggling in life, those who are hurting, those who feel they have no one, they're alone. God, help us to be a blessing to all who sit around our tables. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.